Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Radio La Force. Ahoy! I'm your host, Mazin Akar, and accompanying me, as always, is the lovely, talented, and handsome <laughs> Bradley LaForce. Oh, my weekly compliments. They're the best. Yeah, for those of you who are wondering, I am contractually obligated to say that each and every time. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he loses points and uh, has to eat cat food if he doesn't. Tough <laughs> rough life. Rough it's life. rough, man. The contract, you, could, you should have had a better negotiator. I, I, me too, because I have to eat cat food no matter what. It's rough. It's COVID, dude. It's 2020. <laughs> I mean, Yo, it's that's, that's right. It wasn't that's, the contract. <laughs> that's all we can afford right Essentially, now. Essentially, <laughs> yeah. That's just, you know, we got a closet full of cat food. Delicious. All right, man. So, uh, what's going on? Dude, well, you were there for it, man. This yeah. whole weekend, our friend Chris Bidmead from Bar Methods. You should follow him. Check him out. He was putting together that the whole process with the lasagna. And yeah. to be honest, like, I didn't, you know, you hear somebody say, let's make your, I'm going to make 60 servings of lasagna. Right. And for some reason, your brain just kind of shuts down. You're like, cool, bro, you should do that. <laughs> so I'm sitting here watching this guy, you know, put all his effort into making this amazing sauce the night before, you know, the, on Friday right. or Thursday. Mm -hmm. And then Friday comes around and I'm literally sitting there basically with my thumb up my ass watching him like do all this work. I'm like, wait, why, why am I sitting here? <laughs> This is 60 things of lasagna. Let's help. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. It's just funny. Like you, it takes a minute for your brain to process that that's a lot of work and you might want to help your buddy out. It is indeed. It is indeed. So let's, for those of you, or for those of the audience who didn't tune sure. in, because we did, you know, we have everything. If you're not following us, by the way, on at Radio La Force for Instagram, do that because we are, uh, we are checking in, you know, kind of weekly, daily, yeah. not even about, you know, a lot of cool stuff happening on the show, but. What was that about? What was he doing that for? So he's actually been doing this since the start of COVID where um, because one of the main industries that was hammered was one that he's in, which is the restaurant industry. He's right. focused on um, kind of executive bartending. So he creates menus. He also does a lot of the back end kind of financial help and, and working on how to make a restaurant function well and function profitably. And with all the layoffs that was going on, he started doing uh, food programs where they just took all the food when lockdown was happening. There was, you know, literal tons of food at these restaurants that would have gone bad sitting in their, you know, their walk-ins. Right. So he and friends collected all up and just started making menus, just huge amounts of food, just cooking it and handing it out and found that it was a little difficult. People didn't want to have, didn't want to take the handout. And so there was a little bit of pushback for this idea of, you know, charity. Um, so he decided he would reach out to some of the different brands and Campari actually answered the call and was like, Hey, yeah, let's do a branded event uh, that serves food to these people who we know are, you know, in a difficult position. And especially with Monday, the, you know, the new shutdown coming for indoor dining is going to be really hard. That's right. So they made, <clears throat> excuse me, they made, uh, we, well, we made 60 lasagnas. Um, and then he mixed up uh, a batch of, uh, I don't know, I can't remember what the cocktail is called. I think it's a Boulevardier or something. Okay. And then a uh, Amaro for like an after dinner aperitif. And so the meal came, it was a meal, the cocktail, uh, a bag, a beanie, and then the aperitif for two people basically and cookies. So the brand like they. This is the beanie. Yeah, this is the beanie right here. Yeah, here we go. Um, and so, it was, you know, and then what everybody gets on Monday is everybody's going to sit down around 7, 730 heat the meal up and then on zoom or on uh, Netflix, they're all going to do like kind of party mode and watch the same movie and, and get fed. And you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I have a big kitchen. So I was able to provide a great, you know, a space for him to start doing the cooking, but it was just really funny where I'm like, well, I already did that. What else, what else do I got to do? And then watching somebody work, I'm like, 
uh, I need to get my hands dirty here. Yeah. This guy's going to be here until like 3 a.m. without any help. So that that's let's get it, dig in. And it was some of the most fun I had. I mean, you were there, and I, it was a blast. Mm-hmm. You're just sitting around, you know, talking shit and having a great time making food for people. And for me, it, it that kind of camaraderie is like priceless, yeah. you know, and doing something that you all enjoy doing is even better. So I love to cook. I know Chris loves to cook. I know you've enjoyed learning to cook over the last few years. So it was kind of nice being able to do something that we're all, we're not experts at in any way, but we're, we're okay at it. And yeah. so just kind of putting that food together and, and, you know, supporting, you know, strangers yeah. and our friend who we know very clear, you know, I know very well, like that just felt like a good way to give back. And I'm actually really excited because there's a good chance that we'll be doing more of these. And um, the great thing was it was lasagna because it's Campari. It's an Italian brand. Mm-hmm. So Chris has been trying to reach out to other vendors and, and other makes so that they can do maybe, you know, um, a mezcal or a tequila with enchiladas. And and so always kind of pairing the, the food um, to go with the brand. So right, maybe right. with whiskey, it's, you know, chicken pot pie or something. So I'm super excited to have, like, actually have my kitchen get beat up and used real hard which is awesome because that's what it's there for um and also to be totally honest to just cook more for others because in covid there's a lot of cooking but it's mostly for ourselves (laughs) and i much prefer to cook for others i don't know why but that is way easier than cooking a meal for myself well it feels good to give it back you know it feels good to kind of you know be selfless to you know at some points and understand that like you said, you have the resources available to you, you yeah. know, and why not put them to good use? And I think yeah. it's, it's brilliant. I think what he's doing is brilliant work. I felt, I felt good, you know. It was awesome. The yeah. videos that you did were so Yeah, good. we took a couple of videos about that. that was, it was fun, man. Again, yeah, check those out because they are awesome. We'll probably have some up on YouTube eventually. Yeah, we'll probably tie it in with this video at some we point. We got to put up yeah. this. Okay, he did an amazing, um, uh, what are those called? The the, oh, the hyperlapse the hyperlapse that was so cool. A couple of those, yeah. <laughs> one one awesome. more angle, one more angle couldn't have hurt, but <laughs> you know, next time, next time. <sighs> but it's wonderful, you know. I think that the because this takes what I think is something we want to talk about today. It takes an incredible amount, if you ask me, my yeah. opinion. It takes an incredible amount of discipline. Um, sure. I don't know if it's. I, I mean, I agree. I think it does take an incredible amount of discipline. I think that. You know, I think one of the subjects that you want to talk about was self-control, self-discipline during COVID and pandemic. Sure. And I think um, it might be it to me, it really connects. So, you know, and I'm sorry, it's going to be a little bit of a tangent, but sure, I'll try sure. to make it tight. So uh, the pink, the FBI started out as what was called the Pinkertons. OK, and that was mm-hmm. uh, late 1800s, 1860s, 1870s. And sure. they were basically a private army uh, hired by some of the robber barons, the, you know, um, Rockefeller, uh, Frick, these, these level guys, JP Morgan, yeah, industrialist JP Morgan, um, to kind of quell issues that they were having either at mines or along the railroad or whatever it was. And they straight up went in and slaughtered people like this is well known. This is well-documented history. And a lot of it was because of worker concerns for safety. Okay. And to me, uh, COVID has very much shined a light on the fact that these corporations at that time that were fighting against safety standards, fighting against uh, our, you know, working hours, fighting against um, any regulatory issue, or any regulatory stances on who they could employ. So kids should be able to be employed. Why can't a nine-year-old work in a mine? What's your problem? Um, safety standards Jesus. and regulations. You know, why should we have to have any sort of safety stuff in place? It's their responsibility. All these kind of ridiculous arguments that <clears throat> put everybody at peril and only make one person, literally one person money. And now 
cut to 2020 and we've got a pandemic going on and the corporations, they don't even have to make the argument. They are, we are making the argument for them. You hear it in the news, you see it in the news. Well, I have to work. So you're going to put your life, your limb and others, the, the life and limb of others in at risk because you have to work. I, I mean, I can't imagine of a better boon for corporations to be like, cool, you guys want to work, go for it. Like yeah, yeah. it, to me, that weird, um, uh, like dislocation of what personal responsibility is, because I think in those people's minds who are saying that I have to work, I have to feed my family. It's not a dislocation for them. It is a responsibility. They have to feed, mm -hmm. et cetera. And to me, it is a dislocation because it shines a very bright light on the fact that if you don't have quality leadership that gives clear and defined guidelines and, and, and backs those up with support for the community, for the nation at large, this is what you end up with. Mm -hmm. You end up with people who are suffering. You end up with a place like New York where plus 90% of the restaurants are probably going to close. You end up with people thinking that personal responsibility is going out and continuing to work during a pandemic, which is going to kill more people. Instead of people starting, you know, instead of everybody looking up and being like, what are you guys doing? What is our leadership doing? Why are you failing? Why aren't you fixing this? And, you know, it's, it's really frustrating because we, you know, the PPP program, the payroll protection program, it was put in place to help small businesses. Sure. A quarter of all the money in the payroll protection program went to 1% of the businesses that applied for it, which were all major corporations. And that is a, a that is a just such a blow to what small business does because we are the largest employers, we are the largest tax tax bracket of pay, taxpayers. Right. We actually are the meat and potatoes, and it's really frustrating to a see that leadership there is there is no responsibility. The leaders don't have to be responsible. CEOs get to just kind of plead ignorance, even though it's their company, or the government gets to kind of plead ignorance. Well, it's you know they turn politicize it. Well, we can't be giving handouts, even though they literally just gave handouts to the the corporate entities and banks, etc. Nope, can't give handouts to personal individuals, and you all should keep working. You should have a nest egg. Why does a billion dollar corporation need a buyout or need a sorry need support? What what about them? Aren't shouldn't they have a, a nest egg? Shouldn't they be sitting on something for the rainy day when everything goes to hell? Sure. No, but the restaurant workers should. So it's just it's really frustrating to see how. But then it's like you know kind of a double edged sword. Then I mean because then you have these people who aren't getting the necessary funds needed to continue yeah. work, and they're put in a position where. They have to. Yeah. I mean, to survive. It's, it's kind of like the yeah the flip side of the coin here. Yeah. So it's it's really, really tough. It's a shuffling of responsibility. The wealthy and the um, political and corporate entities that have the major majority of control in the country are able to shift the responsibility down to the worker. Well, as a small business owner yourself, how, what would you do? In general, like on the broad spectrum, the 50,000-foot view? Sure. Get rid literally, you'd have to, first of all, just put immediate term limits on everything like you just you can't have career politicians career politicians are what create legacy legacy is what creates oligarchy oligarchy is what creates this situation right now mm. in the short term you'd have to release a stimulus package i mean immediately and it would have to be majority to the individual before even the small business and then to the small business and then to the larger corporations mm -hmm. but honestly let them fail 
let them be broken up. If you are not physically working with your hands, it's not that I don't respect you. I don't think that you are worthy or anything like that, but shareholder value, it can be destroyed. We can go through and start working on a little bit of destruction there so that we can feed that capital back into the market. Because right now you have major shareholders that are just sitting on a pile of dough. They're not doing anything with it except for feeding it back into one machine, the casino of the uh, of the not the economy, but just of the market. Mm. But they're not actually doing anything with it. That, I mean, wh- what are you doing with that? They're perpetually trying to squeeze as much profit out without trying to actually build up the companies that they're buying or build up the companies they're invested in. So if you're not physically working, and I'm using the term with your hands, but I, I mean your brain or anything. If you're not working for your daily bread, I'm not as concerned about the capital you have because obviously you have so much excess capital, you don't have to work. So you could be busted back like 20% and you probably would still have an amazing life and you might have to work a few hours a week. Right. So whatever has to happen now has to go to the taxpayer first, then to the small business, and then it can filter up to the corporation. But most of them are sitting on piles of cash. And it, whether it's physical asset or whether, you know, liquid, actual cash, gold, et cetera, or stock, like, fine, let it, let it disappear a little bit. It's okay. Let it feed back to some other individuals out there. It just is really frustrating for everybody to think that the market is the engine of the economy or that uh, shareholders and investors are the engine or the fuel of the economy. It is a lie. That is not true. They are not that at all. The engine of the economy is small businesses, sole proprietorships, and individuals who are going into Macy's and buying that new sweater. Sure. That's the engine and the fuel, period. And those other people, <clears throat> at best, they're the maintenance catalog that you have to order to figure out how to work on the motor. And they just make it really difficult to work on the motor. <laughs> they try to bar you from working on it. Don't give you the right tools. Don't talk about it. It's, it's pretty frustrating. Um, but yeah, I would say it's a, got to go to the taxpayer first, then to the small business and they can trickle up to the corporation. Otherwise it not only comes grinding to a halt, but you, you're providing opportunity for those wealthy, uh, family offices, um, the hedge funds, et cetera, uh, to do a snatch and grab at the end of this, when everything starts to tank and when the dollar starts to collapse, these people are going to have the capital where they can walk in and just start buying up the real estate, just like they did in a way. We saw a time account. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to do the exact same thing. BlackRock is the, I believe the largest residential, um, landlord in the country now. And they're the largest corporation in the country. I think they're worth, you know, their AUM is like in the trillion, seven or eight trillion, six or $7 trillion. So you're seeing these people that are just gobbling up and they're not providing any benefit. They're just literally taxing us. They're taxing us before we even pay taxes. Mm-hmm. So you ha- somehow we have to stop that. Somehow we have to stop that snatch because that's exactly what's happening. It's, we've seen it happen in a ton of countries. Venezuela, it's just happening here now, <clears throat> right? Well, so in lieu of the, you know, in lieu of what you just mentioned, and if we're bringing it down, back down from 50,000 feet, you know, you're in a situation right now mm-hmm. where, you know, it's not, we're not in the situation we ought to be in. Yeah. Agreed. And so how, you know, what, what's, what would, how would you react to that? How, or how are you reacting? To that? How are you dealing with that? Um, well, working with friends like Chris and actually trying to feed people um, and for my business, because the longitudinal view for construction, at least in, in my opinion, in New York is that it is everybody's, Everybody doesn't know it's dead yet. It's dead, but 
people are still pretending like it's not and they're building apartments and they're building buildings. So for me, the long-term view is to pivot out of, um, to bring less, more, less than 50% of my business be the actual physical construction process okay. and move more towards um, either manufacturing and materials or interior design. Because I just, I don't see the renovation dollar being, uh, being there enough <clears throat> to support a company of my size, which is not big, you know, a dozen employees. It's not huge, but I just don't see it doing that in 2021, 2022, or 2023. And we've expanded to New Jersey, Philadelphia. We're looking at Oregon, Connecticut, New Jersey. You know, we've actually, we're licensed, we're registered, we're here. But the, even then, I don't see the work pulling us past 2021 if I'm only in construction. I have to diversify at this point. Right. So we've been working pretty diligently on what else we can do, how else we can diversify, um, looking at soft goods, materials. Maybe um, there's a company that has uh, developed a the next phase of um, copper ionic fabric, and now it's a self-sanitizing fabric, which is a huge deal because it means that you literally don't have to clean it. It's It can really reduce the bio burden within the room because all the soft goods are automatically you know, denaturing and killing that virus. Um, so we're looking at things like that. We're looking at... Um, For what use specifically? The, just in, in homes in general. Um, just the idea that if you, you know, you can wipe down hard surfaces, right? You can wipe down the counters, you can wipe down this, but fat, you know, your couch, mm -hmm. how do you sanitize your couch, Good you know? Point. And how do you sanitize it without damaging the fabric over, mm. you know, because you're using bleach on dirt or whatever the chemical is. So having something that can <clears throat> self sanitizes, I think even if we don't want it, it's going to be the next next thing that we have to do, especially in communal spaces, yeah. hospitals, trains, airplanes, um, you know, hotels, boats, you know, any of this stuff. You have to reduce that burden of uh, the biological burden, the airborne things right. somehow. And the best way to do that is to give surfaces that won't allow any growth. So um, we're, we're just trying to stay... We're trying to stay ahead of the, the you know, the, the wave of destruction that the economy is about to have. Because I feel like right now, you know, we're all, we're all standing on the beach just watching the surf, you know, just go flying out because there was an earthquake offshore. So everybody's scared. You know, pandemic is the earthquake. Everybody's like, my God, that was scary. As the water is rushing away from shore and nobody's like, nobody's, and we're all still standing around being like, there's not going to be a, a tsunami. There's not going to be a tidal wave. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and the reality is it it's going to come back, yeah. you know, fivefold, tenfold. And so that's the part that is the vaccine can't fix. You know, there's, you don't stack, what was it? $3 trillion or more. I think it's more than that. I think it's like 5 trillion onto the national debt uh, without some sort of, you know, uh, uh, backlash yeah. uh, or just, you know, equilibrium, just something to bring it back into equilibrium. So what do you do? You, you know, traditionally you start a war, that helps, re, you know, regenerate the economy. There's Got, been rumors about yeah, that. that could happen. We could see that with the incoming administration. Here is hoping that that is not the one that we go for. I, I totally agree. I'm tired of paying for wars, and I'm tired of paying for the industrial military complex that is starting to include our police. Here, here. Starting is deeply including our police. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Or you have inflation. Yeah. Devalue the dollar. Now you've dropped the, the national debt. And... So neither of these are good options right. and neither of them are going to be comfortable. They're going to be painful. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm going to sit here and still keep hoping that somehow it gets better. Somehow it's going to totally work out and there is a silver, silver bullet. But 
time and time again, if you look longitudinally over the course of even just U.S. history, there has never been a silver bullet. That has never happened, ever. When a major catastrophe, a major event happens, it does not solve itself in six months, Sure. ever. It is years. And beyond it being years, it's years and a lot of painful, painful things. World War One, lots of death, World War and and the economy going into complete crap ten years later. Mm-hmm. World War Two, same thing. Economy had to be restarted, and they did that with a war. It's, you know, it is just frustrating because even though in my brain it, I keep on thinking maybe it'll work out this time, maybe this time it'll be the silver bullet. I know with my critical thinking skills that that is not true. And what we are doing is we are staring down the barrel of another global economic crash that is going to also be piggybacked on a pandemic, which means that the costs of doing business are going, we all know the costs of doing business uh, have gone up because you have to deal with this extra level of safety. You have people that can't go back to work or don't want to go back to work. We've also killed a million people across the planet. So there's all these things that are going to make the recovery even more difficult period so you know not it's not just pivoting i think right now is the time to really take a critical eye to what systems actually work what systems need to continue working and what systems need to be broken up whether it's here in the u.s or anywhere i think that it's i think that this might be a time when people might start looking at countries as just you know public relations machines I think it might be the first time over the next few years where we'll just admit that when the laws aren't the same, when we can't find some sort of uh, homogeny with just the laws that are in process, that we realize that, oh, you're just doing that because it's a PR stunt. Literally, you're just a PR stunt. Right. You know, it's not to take away from the traditional um, values of those places. It's just keep the tradition, keep the traditional ideals, keep the traditional dress, the food, everything. But you know, when it comes to weird, you know, innocuous tariff laws that's not part of your tradition (laughs) i mean at least i don't know of any countries that are like we're the best at tariff when it comes to our ports and we celebrate that for the last 300 years like that's not a thing so if we can just bifurcate those two and make the international laws kind of more homogenous um i think that would be really beneficial for the regrowth of all the economies around Mm -hmm. but i mean that takes everybody actually agreeing on something (laughs) Which, again, I think brings me back to the kind of the discipline of it all, developing a sense of self-discipline, you know, and ridding ourselves of any kind of entitlement that we might have because, you know, we live in a particular country. Absolutely. We're born with a certain amount of rights. I, I think, I do believe we have all too often, you know, shed our responsibility. Absolutely. I'm 100% guilty of that quite regularly. I think most of us, not all of us really are at some point, I think, but it's, it's, it's really... It comes down to identifying that, yeah. you know, and, and taking responsibility for that, yeah. you know, step one. And then kind of, re, you know, looking down and, and realizing how this thing could really domino effect in, in, in any direction that could breed, po- you know, a positive kind of outcome. Yeah. It's really funny that you bring up that because it's the small things that I know I hate having to have responsibility about. And so one of the things I actually will tell my guys, you know, I'm the boss, so I get two benefits from being the boss. That's about it, because I work all the time. So the two big benefits for me are, A, I get to be late. I have specifically built this company that other people have to show up early. I get, I am not a morning person. I hate it. I can yeah. stay up late all day long, but I am not a morning person. So that's number one. And number two, I can leave the shop a mess. 
<laughs> now, if we really look at those two things, that is not good leadership. Period. There's no you can't. There's no way to look past that. That's sure. just not good leadership. Sure. If I'm not a morning person, fine. But mm -hmm. then don't say I'm gonna don't say you're gonna show up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And if you're gonna use the shop and you want your guys to keep the shop as clean at or in some pristine level of shape, then lead by example. Right. And it's a little inappropriate. But I still do it. I 100% still, I will walk in and I am a tornado in that shop. <laughs> and every time the shop, the shop manager, he's always like, did, were you in the shop this weekend? And I'm like, maybe <laughs> he's yeah. like, yup. And he's going to spend, you know, I'm paying him to clean basically for two hours, which is, it's bullshit. Yeah. Let's just be honest. So it's something that I've recognized. And I really, in the, literally just in the past month have started working on where I'm like, you know what? No. I don't like the morning, so if I have to show up in the morning, I will be on time, if not early. Right. Period. Nobody's waiting around for me. Yeah. Ever. And then the shop, I just, I've, I'm like, okay, then I just don't do any work unless I have something very small, minute, or I have a somebody helping me. Yeah. Don't do it because sure. I won't keep it clean. I know I won't. It's going to be a slow process. There is no silver bullet. Yeah. <laughs> I have to train myself to put the tool back. Where it's supposed to go. <laughs> no, for sure. For so, sure. and I feel like those little ones lead to the larger ones, right? So if I can really nail those out, then I'm going to have a much better opportunity to look at some of even maybe the more difficult things that I've wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a domino effect, hopefully in a positive way, where I'm able to start knocking out some of these little idiosyncrasies around personal responsibility and around um, honoring your employees or your friends, et cetera. Well, I learned from you. I mean, to, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, I learned please. from you. You know, honoring your employees begins with honoring yourself. You know? Yeah. And and that that was a big one for me. And that to me, because, you know, you're right. It really, the little things add up, Yeah. you know, in an amazing way. <laughs> they add up in such a way where if you begin to pay enough attention to yourself and honor yourself in a way, and I'm talking like financially aside. Yeah. Like physically, mentally, psychologically, you begin to, you know, adopt habits that, you know, are more in tune with who you are and, 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 and are kinder to you. Yeah. I think these things really do kind of add up to, to the whole, the bigger goal of honoring Agreed. yourself. And then it's, it's at least something that, you know, keeps the day moving. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can all, you know, get our head up our ass you know, from time to time and thinking like, oh my God, the grants, what's going to be next year? What's, yeah. what's the, what's the bigger political climate in America? What's or around the world? What? And we forget to really just, we, we're not grounded. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel. And it, it's very, it's all too easy to feel that way. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of Zen in just taking alone time. There's a lot of Zen in maybe going to the gym or, or taking a walk, you know, yeah. or hell, if you want a cigar, have a cigar, you yeah. know, or, you know, or a cup of coffee or whatever is going to make you feel like you can like, you know, appreciate the day, appreciate the moment. Yeah. That stuff really, I think does. I mean, it's crazy to think about it. I don't mean to get, you know, super philosophical about it, but it, it's at least for me, for me personally has kept yeah. my day moving in such a way where, okay, that's one day. Let me, let me look to tomorrow. Let me be grateful. I woke up alive, well, and working. Yeah. And you know, that's just a day to day kind of attitude that again, personally I've adopted and, you know, would just like to impart if, if I may be so bold to, to, to anyone listening that it's, it does help. It's helped me. It's yeah. helped me kind of get through these issues. Cause you know, you, you and I both know, you know, 
I know about, you know, the stuff you're going through. I'm sure you know about the stuff Absolutely. I'm going through. And it's, I couldn't have done it without you. I couldn't have done it with the, with the community. And that's a part of it too. Also surrounding yourself with the people that are going to be, you know, available to you. Yeah. And understand that, you know, hey, although I'm going through a rough 2020, personally, I know that it's going to mean something to you. And eventually to me, if I stick it out with you. Yeah. You know, and that begins. <laughs> I think the um, vulnerability I think that's the one that I learned during the lockdown early in it was that it was something that I was working on subconsciously and then finally it kind of bubbled to the surface. And especially for, at least for me as a man, vulnerability is first, you know, seen as weakness. But if you're actually able to see it as a strength where you realize where you need that help, mm -hmm. when you need that help, and also how to recognize when help is offered, those are super important things sure. to do because um, you know, society is misogynistic and society raises men to be, we're, we're able to be violent and we're able to be angry. Everything else is weakness. Yeah. Oh, you can cry at a funeral. That's it. And it's ridiculous. So you, you're, you walked, you are uh, completely removed from your emotions and they're usually translated into a negative space. But if you can look at the vulnerabilities that you have within yourself, you can honor yourself by saying, oh, I do need some alone time. Oh, you know what? I do need a cigar right now. Mm -hmm. What even if it's something that is a bad habit? Sure, fine. Sure, I mean, I'll I'll take it right now no, just to survive. Yeah. yeah. And with the PTSD that's coming in from this whole process of p the pandemic, you know, <laughs> utterly decimating our societal norms, it's important to have those times yeah. where you are allowed to be vulnerable, whether it be in private or with friends, whatever it is. I think it's that has been really helpful for me to recognize um, not just how to ask for help, but how to recognize when somebody's actually giving me help. Cause I feel like that's actually really hard to do. You might not recognize it. And it's not until after the fact, you're like, wow, I didn't realize I even needed that. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to really concentrate on that through um, listening to my friends. Cause I think a lot of us are in a place where you can't say, well, I'm here to help cause we're so deep in it and we are so for, frightened and scared and everything we're not going to reach out yeah. we're going to sit in our room lights off under the covers you know vegging out on youtube or whatever it is because we can't we just don't know how to ask so i've been trying really diligently with my employees and my friends i just until you literally block my phone number i'm going to keep reaching out hey how you doing hey what's your day been like i don't have to do it every day but i'm trying to do it on a I'd say less than 72 hour basis where I'm checking on every single person. Sure. Because it's not that it's going to be some deep, long, amazing phone. It's not going to be the silver bullet. Sure. It's just that process of checking in on everybody because it is this time, because it is this brutal yeah. and especially in America. I mean, I'm assuming a lot of other places on the planet are having the, these same PTSD kind of issues. Um, so well, I'm only speaking from my experience, right? I was going to say, if not worse, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think the, the, the ultimate takeaway is it could be a lot worse, at least for yeah. guys like you and I. Sure. Oh, hell yeah. I I'm mean, like waiting for all this to fall apart and disappear. <laughs> I seriously, I'm assuming that at some point we're going to be doing this out of two refrigerator containers down the block under the BQE. <laughs> but it's important that we still keep doing this. That to oh, me, yeah. is, you know, again, it, it, it kind of keeps because I would I would still do it. Down, Hell yeah. You know? I mean, I, and I'm not stopping. I've been homeless before. I'm I'm not fine with it, yeah. but I will always function. I will yeah. always work. I am just one of those people that um, I enjoy the challenge. Yes. And 
you're here. It, it might. It, it actually, I think it is a little ego egocentric um, that I, I will. All, I just enjoy the challenge. So if I'm presented with a a the same problem over and over again, mm -hmm. I'm bored. I'm like whatever, and I would rather go and break something to find a new challenge. And so I'm trying to learn how. <laughs> really. Yeah. That's... So I'm trying now to learn how to take on the challenges through listening yeah. that are actually around me instead of ignoring them and not re recognizing them as challenges. So yeah. an employee who's having a difficulty with uh, a housing issue or, you know, figuring out how to deal with uh, childcare because the pandemic's happening. Sure. That's a challenge I can take on. That's something I'm like, Oh yeah, you're not alone. I got you. Let's figure it out. Not necessarily money. And maybe it's just, I know somebody who is a tutor mm -hmm. or I know somebody who, you know, has an apartment available and, taking on those challenges instead of ignoring them and trying to go and break something to give myself something new to challenge. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I've been trying to really practice uh, comfort and vulnerability and actually listening. And I think that the listening part is really hard because everybody's different. So it doesn't matter how many people you've talked to or how good you are at it. If you're not taking your time to listen to them over and over and over to finally learn what they're actually saying. Yeah. Cause it's not that they're, it's not, they're like, it's not, we're not trying to read between the lines. It literally is just the, a word that you use is not the same for me. If I use the word degenerate, I'm not using it. Like it's somebody that's, I'm using it more of a, a in, in the non-classical definition of it. And I'm using it saying, Oh, that guy, you know, you're a degenerate, like, Oh, you're funny and weird. And you, sure, you sure, know, sure. you didn't take a shower for two days. Like it's not, to and me, I'm it's totally not that bad. using a textbook. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I've had friends that are like, Oh dude, when you say degenerate, that means that's like somebody who's, you know, doing yeah. something terrible. That's like a cannibal. Like that's some bad, bad stuff. So just learning the syntax. He's not a cannibal. Though. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not on Tuesdays. Just on, <laughs> um, but you just, you have, you know, you, you have to learn their syntax, that cadence, all those things. Yeah. And, and, and that starts to load, you know, load in the vulnerabilities and seeing through those vulnerabilities and seeing them as strengths right. and really engaging, um, strangers or friends or business colleagues, whatever, uh, on a very equitable platform and, uh, in a way that you are going to accomplish the most mm -hmm. and you're going to do it not necessarily the quickest, but you're not going to have to work backwards. And I feel like that's the thing. If anything, that's the thing I try to do in business. I hate working backwards. I like just going through the order of operation, even if it has to be slow, work through that order of operation so you're not tearing something out to fix it. Right. And it's the same with communication. I don't want to have a miscommunication that turns into an argument that we now have to both separate, think about. Then we can circle back around and retry that conversation. Yeah. I'd rather quiet myself listen repetitively listen so now i can say oh, okay so this is what you're trying to to communicate to me right oh okay i understand that this is my experience from understanding it and this is what i can offer in our compromise in our conversation or in our you know maybe it's at the end of our communication maybe that means there is nope we have no you know foundation we have no anchor point you'll have to go way your way i have to go mine but just not working backwards. And I think people don't realize how much in communication we do work backwards, backwards and really taking pause and thinking about how many people we do that with and how often we do that with ourselves is in communication that we start to work backwards. Cause that is where money is lost. Friends are lost. Time, time is energy, lost yeah. energy. Yeah. And it's, it's not great. It's, it's not great. 
Well, I mean, communicate. I mean, that's honestly, it all starts with communication. And I, yeah. to be honest with you, I think that would be an amazing episode, uh, a whole other episode to talk about. Because I mean, I could go on for hours about about what it takes to really be an effective communicator. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 kind of in a audio visual medium where that's kind of my <laughs> livelihood. But it's it is it's a lifelong discipline. I mean, that's yeah. like and talk. I mean. And I'm even fed up with you know talking about discipline in in in, in some sense or even saying the word. But I also do believe you know I'd like to touch you know kind of cap on the on the note that it is a it is a daily practice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like none of this stuff that we're talk, discussing right now is ever going to just be like okay, well I got it and I don't have to think or worry about yeah. that. It's not that automatic automated. Yeah. I mean that's the one thing I've learned. I think it's really fascinating. The illustration I always try to use is that it is a light switch. But you mm. still got to cross the room to get to it. All right, that's nice. And so you still have all these steps, but it is that one moment and you're like, oh, wow, that is a habit. Yeah. It's been a habit for 15 years. I didn't even realize. And right. you, you can look back and see when the light switch event happened. Um, and it can happen right away. It, it absolutely can't. It's just rare. But it is a light switch. We, it, it just one day, click. Yeah. You're done. And that's the beauty of humanity, right? We are so hyper adaptable communication physical we can deal with negative 50 degree temperatures we can deal with no water we can deal all kinds of stuff right and i think that people i think in general we all forget that that we are that adaptable and that the light switch you know that little click yeah it's across the room but it's up to us whether we want to crawl there or we want to run to it and that's that's just deal with the fact that one is going to be more dangerous than the other. You run around in the house, you got a better chance of falling over, no matter how young or old you are. You crawl over there, it's a good chance you probably won't hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> It'll yeah. just take a lot longer. <laughs> but just do it. That's the yeah. you know, that's the I think the biggest takeaway. Um Hey man, what what else can I say? besides thank you again for, for another beautiful hour of discourse with it's my pleasure. Honestly, yeah. I, I wish we could go longer. <laughs> I, I honestly do. I mean, we should start maybe thinking about breaking this up into two two parts here. But I just want to, I do want to leave some time to thank everyone who tuned in for episode four, the first ever film segment of the show. Um, this is now technically episode five. I know. Uh, this is crazy. This is, right. We're just breezing through these. I'm deeply excited to see all this. I honestly, he'll tell you, I, I just want to see three digits, not like nine, ten. I just want to see like 200 people have watched it. I will be over the moon. And I like specifically don't look at anything because I don't, I know I'll obsessively refresh the page. He's he's quite (laughs) excitable in that. I am, I am basically, I'm childlike in my curiosity and my humor. Everything else I try to be an adult about. Not a bad thing at all. No, God, no. But um, again, thank you so much. And thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, We'll definitely see you. We'll see you on the next one. Oh, and don't forget to, I know there were some uh, some discrepancies or, or questions about uh, whether or not we were just an audio um, platform. This is a film show, so we are on YouTube. But uh, in the description, you guys will find uh, links to all our other, you know, all your favorite platforms: Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, uh, where you guys can can listen to the show as well if you don't have time to watch. And yeah, anything? You good? I think I'm good. I'm just looking forward to next week. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Ciao, everybody. Bye.